1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week I get to welcome back Todd Henry to the show. He's been on twice before, and we've already decided he's going to come back again after this conversation to do one that's less connected with, say, one of his brand new books. But it's great for him to be so prolific. So, anyways. The new book is actually called Herding Tigers. Not hurting. Herding. Like corralling, moving, making them go where you want them to go. Herding tigers, be the leader that creative people need. And in this conversation, we talk about the main thrust of the book, which is, one, you know, honestly, some people don't consider themselves to be creative, which they are if they're in a problem-solving position, or... This is, again, as the title implies, being a leader of a group of people, a team of creatives, a team of tigers, if you will. And what that means, not just how to be one, a leader, that is, but also to be a tiger. Well, interestingly enough, so we flip this on its head. It's not just about being the leader, although there's tons of that in this conversation. It's also about... You know, hey, how do you kind of maybe coax your, your leader, if you're a tiger, into being a better leader of you as a tiger? Because honestly, a, a lot more people find themselves to be in that team mentality than the leader mentality. There's one other factor I brought up with Todd in this conversation, which is a lot of people work from home or are their own thing. They are their brand. They are their whatever. And so they need to lead themselves as a team of one. And be the leader of that team of one. It's it's this weird dynamic of like being all these different roles. You know, it's like, man, my boss is so mean to me. That guy's a real jerk. And it's me, you know, kind of a mentality. So anyways, great book. Had an awesome conversation with Todd. I know you're going to love it. So we're going to just jump in right here. Enjoy this conversation with Todd Henry. This week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show for the third time, I believe, Todd Henry. Todd, welcome back. Eric, it is
0: great to be here for the hat trick.
1: Yes. So I was just talking to you pre-conversation. And what's funny is I think the last episode, you and I actually took like a tangent turn to talk about you two's Innocence and Experience tour that we had both just been to. And yeah. then you and I serendipitously got to see each other at a U2 show this past summer. Not that we need to talk and about U2 here at all. I'm just saying it was great to see you, mostly. No, we don't. And I was still
0: basking in the glow of having just uh, just met Bono right right before yeah, that in a yeah. very bizarre way. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, there was like was Bono some... radiation coming off of you, and I was very, <laughs> very uh, envious of that whole situation, So because it was literally like, what, 10 minutes prior, prior 15, something like that, that you... You had met exactly, face yeah, face to face. And I was then we saw each other at Chipotle, <laughs> also a great place, anyways. Also, a great place, great. <laughs> so, last time you were on, you were here to talk about uh, I believe it was more than words, yeah, and,
0: yeah. A and- lot of which came out in 2015.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's been a while. Uh, You've got a great new book out, but what's kind of cool is, is I'm seeing this, this, this evolution from the accidental creative to die empty to more than words and now herding tigers, not hurting tigers, herding, like, like, herding, like, herding cats, which is the familiar phrase everybody's right. heard. But you've got a picture of a giant tiger sitting on an office chair here, and it's called Herding Tigers, be the leader that creative people need. So why did you go with herding tigers instead of herding cats?
0: You know, it was it was a line that came out in a talk I was giving at a conference. Um, and it, it's funny because it's it sort of just a spontaneous thing that came out. I, I have forever and ever, and I'm sure you felt the same way, I've forever been offended by the phrase that, you know, when we, people say that leading creative people is like herding cats. Because to me that implies like these are... you. Uh, Creatures with like No self control They're just flighty They just kind of Bounce from thing to thing Um And most Like highly professional Creative people I know Are not that way at all And so I was just kind of Speaking at this conference I said you've probably Heard this phrase That leading creative people Is like herding cats It's actually like Herding tigers These are powerful Majestic creatures Capable of unbelievable things But they also can rip you To shreds if you don't Lead them properly And it got a laugh Right And so that became Of course When something gets a laugh It becomes a line in the book And then my editor Saw the line in the book And said this has to be Your title Um and so we kind of went round and round a little bit and then it ended up being the title of the book. And it really, I think, captures the, the unique dynamic of leading creative people because I think it is really this thing of like you have to recognize that creative people have great power to do tremendously wonderful things within your organization and, and for your clients and all of that. But also, if they're not led properly – um, and strategically, if they don't get what they need, then they're all, you know, they're also capable of doing great damage within your organization. It's not your fault. It's that they're not getting what they need to be able to function properly, to be able to do the work that they need to do. And when you're asking them to take risks and try new things and experiment and push boundaries and deliver unbelievable value in unrealistic amounts of time, but you're not giving them what it is they need to do that, it's going to create all kinds of havoc within your organization.
1: Interesting. Yes. And I've been experienced in both the giving and the receiving end of that, I believe. (laughs) So, uh, Speaking of experience, I have to think that you brought this book about from some of your own experience, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and And that's really sort of, I always try to write from the perspective of the person that I know is going to be reading the book. And every book I've written, and this, by the way, if people are... Uh, you know, thinking about writing a book or maybe some people are writing a book right now. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been so effective for me in writing books is to always think about the book through the lens of a single person, not a target group, not a target demographic, not like a an avatar, but a specific Person you know who is the person that I would write this book to if I could just hand them a you know a bunch of pages and say, "Here read this, this will make everything better for you, who is that person and so um, because of that, I think you know I, I think I, tr- I try to write from the inside out I try to write from what it feels like to be in that person 's situation, and um, you know a lot of what is in this book is the result of you know years of trying to figure out how do i help my team be more effective why is it that we you know seems like everything's going well seems like we're really proud of the work we're doing and yet it seems like people are not prolific brilliant and healthy right now they're not sustainably doing great work and i can't figure out why that's the case and so really it's it's the result of wanting to figure out what does it creative people really need in order to deliver great work consistently but not just deliver great work but to actually love the environment to love where they work and to love being a part of something.
1: I think there's a couple possible scenarios for the listener here where one, they're either, let's call it the first person, they're listening to this and they're hearing you say the word creative or creative people, and they don't really self identify with that, but they may be mistaken.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, creativity really at the heart of it is problem solving. And I mean, we're all creative in various ways. So whether, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you solve problems by creating a new system or by developing a new product or something of that nature. And if you're a designer, you solve problems by designing something. If you're a writer, you solve problems by writing something. But we're all in some some respects creative in what we do because we have to solve problems every day. And that means we're all privy to the same dynamics, the same pressures, the same unique constraints that um, you know, what we typically think of as quote unquote creatives are are privy to. It's just that we often I think it, it's really unfortunate, Eric. I don't know if you've encountered this, but it really kind of breaks my heart in a way when I hear people say well I'm just not creative like what do you what do you mean you're not creative I mean, look at this business that you built or look at this unbelievable system that you developed or look at um, you I I watch the way you interact with your children right and how unbelievably playful you are when you're interacting with your children and the imaginary things that you do with you the, 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 the worlds that you build when you're telling stories to your children like how can you think you're not creative and what people what people really mean I think when they say they're not creative is well I'm not really an artist. right? I don't paint, or I don't make movies, or I don't play music. That's really what they mean when they say I'm not creative. But we have to really dropkick that understanding of creativity to the curb. Because in truth... Anyone who has to solve problems every day is creative. And what we're doing right now is a creative act. I mean, we're engaging in improvisational conversation. This is a creative act. You know, we're basically making it up as we go. Trust me, everyone listening, we have no clue what we're talking (laughs) about. It's like we're making it up as we go. And so, you know, we have to dropkick this notion of creativity is just for the special few or just for the quote unquote creatives to the curb. Now there are certain professions, like not everybody is a designer, right? Design is a profession. It's something you're trained to do. It's a craft, all of those kinds of things. Um, But just because you don't design or paint or write or make music doesn't mean you're not creative. Of course you are, because you have to solve problems every day.
1: Exactly. Yes. Well said. So then there's another possibility here that someone is essentially the Exactly. Like you said, tar- target demographic for this audience where they are someone who is being put in a position of leadership or, or already is in a position of leadership, but they still say to themselves, well, I'm not the head of a creative team. I'm, right. you know, just the head of a team. And I think they could still get something out of this book because. In this, you learn how to – heck, even even somebody who's not the leader of the creative team and is just one of the creatives on the team is still going to get something out of this book because you're going to learn how to be a better team player as well as be a better leader of yourself even.
0: Well, and this is one of the things that I discovered in the course of writing the book is that many people don't understand how to communicate what they need to their leadership. And so – it leads to all of these, you know, unhealthy behaviors or maybe uh, unnecessary conflicts within an organization or within a team. And by the way, when I say organization, I don't just mean a big company. I mean it could be you and a handful of other freelancers that are working together on a project, right? Like that's that's an organization. That's a group of people trying to accomplish something together. Um, but you know what what happens is when we don't understand. We we know we're not getting something we need. We know we're frustrated. We know that expectations are constantly shifting. We know that we feel overchallenged for the circumstance. We know that uh you know we, we know that we've been told something is going to happen and yet it doesn't happen. And we know that frustrates us, but we don't understand why that frustrates us and we don't know what we're not getting. So we don't know how to communicate. So what do we do? We just get really upset and we you know, we we push back and we get irritable and all of those things because we don't know how to say, hold on, time out. I'm not getting something from you that I need right now. And I've identified what it is. And if I could get more of this, this would really help me. And so if you're one of those people on a team right now and you're thinking, well, I don't lead other people, so maybe this isn't for me. It absolutely is because the more clear you can become about what it is you really need and have some terminology to be able to describe that, the easier it's going to be for you to communicate to your leadership or to your collaborators or whoever, hey, there's something broken here. I've identified it. I have a term for it. Here it is. And here's how we can fix it. And when you do that, it reduces the, the level of conflict on the team, at least unhealthy conflict on the team. There's a healthy level of conflict that you, you want to have right, over ideas and things like that. But you don't want to be fighting about process. You don't want to be fighting about, I'm not getting what I need. You want to be fighting about Changing expectations uh, on the team. So the the clearer you get about that stuff, the easier it is to actually dedicate your resources to doing the work, which is what we all want to do. None of us want to waste our time having frivolous conflict about things that really don't matter. We want to get down to doing the work.
1: Yeah, and reducing that unnecessary friction or unhelpful friction means then the quality of the work goes up, and everybody's happier as they do it, et cetera. So. Uh, I, I really, I mean, that, that was my personal experience as I was going through the book is I have this, I work from home because I'm a remote worker and I do Mm -hmm. lead a team remotely, but also I'm part of a larger team even above me. So, and, and, and even I'm a team of one when it comes to this podcast. So from like three different angles, I was reciprocally kind of studying from all the different positions, like how to be in the leadership role, how to be in the being led role, even the self management role. And it was all very interesting, especially when it came to the two things specifically that you say creative people need.
0: Yeah. And this is, this is really important too. If you're a solopreneur and you might be thinking, Oh, well, I don't. I don't even have a team. This is completely irrelevant. No, you have to lead yourself, right? Like you, exactly. In, in that case, like you have to recognize, oh, I'm not getting something I need from myself right now. And I have to give myself permission to have the thing I need from myself. So we we all lead someone, even if it's just ourselves. But the two things you mentioned, that creative people need more than anything else to do their work effectively. The first one is stability. So we have to have some degree of stability if we want to be able to take wild and creative risks with our work. If there's unstable ground, it's gonna be really difficult to make the kind of intuitive leaps that we need to make in order to deliver disproportionate value to our clients. And stability really is comprised of two things. The first thing is clarity. So clarity around process. Clarity around expectations, clarity around um, uh, strategy, understanding where the boundaries are, wh- wh- where is the playing field on which I am given permission to play. And we tend to think of you know, the creative process as wide open space and you know, just don't fence me in, give me complete freedom. The reality is creativity requires boundaries. Orson Welles once said, the absence of limitation is the enemy of art without some kind of bounding arc, without some kind of limitation, then we are gonna struggle. We won't know where to focus our creative energy. And so if we're leading other people, we have to set very clear expectations. We have to make decisions about strategy, decisions about expectations. We need to communicate those clearly. And we need to ensure that we're not shifting our perspective with the political winds, but instead that we're creating a firm and clear playing field on which our team can do its work. But the second part of that is protection. The second part of, of stability is protection. We also need to ensure that we're protecting the time and the resources and the energy that our team needs to be able to do that work and that we're not allowing the chaos monster of the organization to swoop in and you know, layer on last minute expectations, um, frivolous and unnecessary administrative work, you know, all of this stuff that we often have to deal with when we're working for an organization. But we need to make sure that we 're protecting the time and the attention and the resources our team needs to be able to do its best work, so really that 's kind of what is what stability is comprised of and, and in order to do great creative work, we need stability, but we also need challenge and challenge means we need to feel permission to take risks to try new things, to experiment, to sharpen our craft, to ask dangerous questions. We need to be pushed to do things that we feel like might be a little bit beyond our boundaries. And when creative people don't feel challenged, they get bored. They feel stuck. They feel like, well, why am I I here? They start looking for better horizons. Uh, The problem with both of these things, Eric, is that stability and challenge exist in tension with one another right and we probably experience this as entrepreneurs as well as somebody you know maybe who has their own business you know when things start to get really predictable you start to feel like well maybe it's not quite as challenging as it once was you know does it doesn't have the same excitement that it had when you were like right on the edge and you were kind of you know you felt like things could fall apart at any moment but it was very exciting you know there's something about that sort of early stage of a, of an organization that's really Um, attractive to a lot of entrepreneurially minded people. And so as things tend to stabilize, challenge tends to decrease and creative people tend to get bored. They start looking for something new. Some creative people might even start blowing things up just so that they have something to fix or something new to do, right? Um, Because as things become more stable, challenge tends to decrease and we tend to get bored. But then as you increase Challenge, you tend to destabilize the organization. So as you ramp up the amount of work, the expectations, as you push people to take risks and try new things, things tend to become very unstable. So as a leader, you need to keep your finger on the dial of both stability and challenge and ensure that not just the team as a whole, but also the individuals on your team are getting what they need from you in order to thrive. And a lot of the problems that I see on teams are the result of individual creative people on those teams either feeling uh, not enough challenge, not feeling pushed, not being given permission to take risks, not having their leader believe in them, those kinds of things. Or a lack of stability, meaning that expectations are changing at the last minute. Um, Strategy is never really set because the moment a stakeholder swoops in and says something different, everything changes regardless of how much work's been done to date, right? All of these kinds of things tend to destabilize the organization. You're not going to get the best work out of the people on your team because they're just going to sit around and say, well, okay, you tell me when you're ready. I'm just going to sit around and wait for you to tell me what to do, um, which is what often happens when it's a, a highly unstable environment. So we need both of those. We need stability and challenge and they're constantly in flux and they exist in tension.
1: You have a matrix, then. It's kind of a four-quadrant thing where challenge and stability, whether you have enough of one or the, or lack of the other, kind of breaks down and shows you what you get with your team when you have those different variables clashing.
0: Right, yeah. So when you have a high-challenge, low-stability environment... Um I call these shooting star organizations. These are teams that are doing a lot of work and maybe doing really good work, but there's a low level of stability. Um, team members tend to feel angry. They tend to get really frustrated and they're not long for your organization if that's the environment that you foster. Because, um, and, and frankly, some organizations do this on purpose. They say, hey, listen, if you don't like it here, there's a long line of talent waiting out the door and you can move on. Right. And we'll bring somebody else to backfill your role. That's just not a healthy way to grow an organization. So, uh, it, but it's, but it's unfortunately all too common. If you have a low level of challenge and a low level, level of stability, um, first of all, you're probably on your way out of business. Uh, but second of all, you know, these are teams that just feel lost. I mean, they just feel frustrated. They don't know what they're doing. Um, You know, there's just, there's nothing really compelling that's keeping them engaged with the work. If you have a low level of challenge or a low level of stability, but a high, or low level of, challenge, but a high level of stability, teams tend to feel stuck. They tend to feel like they're in a holding pattern, right? They're doing a lot of production work. Um, you know, it's very predictable. It's very stable, but they're not feeling pushed. And creative people need to feel permission to stretch themselves, to take risks, to try new things. And they're going to feel bored, they're not going to stick around for very long. So what we have to do is aim for the right level of challenge and stability. And when this happens, creative teams thrive. This is when teams come alive. This is when we do our best work. So if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, wait a minute, okay, I am right now generally feeling pretty angry with my organization or the team that I work with. I would cons- I would encourage you to consider... Is it because I am feeling challenged, but that there's a lack of stability within my team or my organization? Maybe right now you feel a little bit stuck. Well, it could be that you have a high level of stability and predictability in your life and your organization, but you have a low level of challenge right now. Maybe you need to take on a Skunk Works project. Maybe you need to ask for some, some different kind of work that you can do to kind of push you and challenge you to develop new skills and try new things. Um, so this is a really... I think, really handy matrix, a really handy uh, tool to help you identify your own level of stability and challenge right now. Maybe some of the things you need to communicate to your manager about what you need from them in order to be able to bring more of what you do to the table.
1: So what I think is amazing is all of what we've just talked about so far in this conversation (laughs) only comes from chapter one of the book. (laughs) And we haven't even like, we didn't even fully cover chapter one. Like there's still other things I could touch on there. But what I want to say is this, then chapters, uh, two through, oh, uh, let me take a guess here. Well, the, you know, there's, there's 12 more chapters. So right. the next six, two through seven. And then I think, uh, or I don't know. Anyway, I'm breaking it up wrong, but six through 12 and then the prior chapters, um, break the rest of the book up into two whole other parts that we've not even gotten to yet. And the first part is uh, your mindset. And the second is your mechanics. And I'd love to hear you explain why the breakdown of those two things and what those two things mean.
0: So your entire career, I know there are a lot of people listening right now who who would identify themselves as a creative professional, right? You go to work, you solve problems every day. You basically create value for clients, for people that you're serving. So again, if you're creating podcasts or you're blogging, you're writing books, or maybe you're designing, you're working for a company, um, you're creating value. And your entire career as a creative professional is one giant setup, basically, from the time you start until the time you get promoted to a managerial role. Because your entire career, you were told, hey... If you deliver the work, if you do great work, if you control the work and make it what, it what it needs to be and you just deliver, squeeze every ounce of value you can out of what you're doing every day, then you're going to get promoted. And your career progress is largely defined by the degree of control that you exert over the work. And the better you get at doing the work, the more recognition you get, the more pay you get, all of those things, until finally somebody says, hey, you're really good at doing the work. Maybe we should make you a manager. And that's the point at which your career completely pivots. Because when you cross that threshold from maker to manager – Your career is no longer about control. All of the things that got you to where you are, the ability to squeeze value out of the work, to control it, to do the work, to make it what it needs to be, are no longer relevant because now your job is not to do the work. Your job is to lead the work. And this is a fundamentally different set of skills, which is why, quite frankly, a lot of people who are promoted to manager end up failing it's not because they're not skilled they're not talented all of those things it's because they were really great makers but they never made the transition from maker to manager which is really the transition from control which is what got you where you are to influence which is how you lead teams of talented, creative people. You cannot control them. You can't tell them what to do. You can't micromanage them. You certainly can't do the work for them. What you have to do instead is you have to influence them, meaning you have to establish rails. You have to establish a philosophy, a leadership philosophy, develop the systems they need to get the work done, uh, resource them, equip them, make sure they have what they need, and then you have to get out of the way and let them do the work. And for somebody who... You know, for their entire career has been defined by the quality of the work that you do, to all of a sudden recognize it's no longer my job to do the work, even though the work reflects on me as a manager. It's not my job to do the work. That's a really difficult transition. So that's the first several chapters that you talked about. It's the transition, the mindset transition that we have to make from maker to manager. It's really important. And then the back half of the book, as you as you talked about, is Uh, mechanics. It's all about the mechanics of leadership and rituals and practices and conversations and things that we can do as leaders to make sure that we're staying in communication with our team, but we're also providing them what they need in order to do the work. Because again, not our job to do the work, our job to lead the work. So it's really about transitioning in your mindset from maker to manager, from control to influence, and then ensuring that we're building a set of practices and rituals into our rhythms as a leader so that we're staying grounded in that new mindset and we're providing our team with what they need in order to thrive.
1: So would it be safe to say that of the two parts, let's see here, the of the, the two things that creative people need, the stability and the challenge, stepping up into a leadership role And making sure that the correct balance between those two things then is brought into these two parts in the second half of the book, the, uh, or or I should say the rest of the book in the two parts of this, the rest of the book. Um, that in mind and in the mindset section, you're really kind of, uh, walking us through how to approach that mentality, that new mantle, if you will, that we now have when it comes to the stability and challenge matrix with our team. But then in the mechanics part, it's all about how that stability and challenge plays out in the functions of making sure the team operates. Yeah, that's that's exactly
0: right. Really, it's, you know, the, the back half of the book is, okay, rubber meets the road.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Because <laughs> um, it's a great. I mean, there's, it's funny because there's a, there's sort of this story I tell at the beginning of the book Um where we were at Disney World and we went into a gift shop, which I absolutely hate to do. I'm sorry, anybody who's a gift shop fan, but I cannot stand gift shops. Like, I'm like, I just paid how much money to get in here and now you're going to grab me by the ankles and shake me upside down and see what's left in my pockets, right? Come on. Um, but anyway, we went into the gift shop at Disney World and I looked up and I saw this shirt that I've come to refer to as the perfect T-shirt. And basically, it was, it was called How to Draw Darth Vader. And if you want to see it, you can go to um, toddhenry.com slash Darth. I actually have a picture of up on the on the website but um uh the first panel was like first start with the head and body and it's like these two really crude drawings of the head and body you know and then the next next one is like you know now draw the cape and the gloves and it's like these really crude photos and the third one is like now draw the lightsaber and the helmet again really crude shapes and then the fourth panel is like add details and some shading finished. And it's this perfectly photorealistic drawing of Darth Vader. You know, it's like, I literally snorted right there in the gift shop because I thought it was so funny when I saw it. And I, I actually bought bought the shirt because I, I was like, <laughs> I've got to have that shirt. Um, but I, the reason it's funny to me is because I think we often talk in these big broad terms when it comes to leadership, right? Like have a vision, hire the right people, um, you know, put the right people in the right place and voila, brilliant work pops out the other side. But the reality is all of the brilliant work happens between panels three and four, right? It all happens in the trenches. It happens between, you know, draw a helmet and a lightsaber and then voila, perfectly photorealistic drawing of Darth Vader. Like all of the beauty and the magic happens between panels three and four. It's when the rubber meets the road and all of the leadership decisions that we make are messy. They're ugly. Um, there's not a clear formula for them. But we have to have some mechanics. We have to have some frameworks that we can apply when doing the work. And without those, that set of frameworks, it's going to be really difficult for us when we're confronted with uh, conflict on our team. Well, how do I deal with that conflict? I don't know. Let's just feel it out. Well, if you have a framework for dealing with that, it makes it a lot easier in the moment to resolve that conflict in a healthy way than if you're just trying to shoot from the hip with everything. And frankly, a lot of especially young leaders, they're just shooting from the hip, or or worse, Eric, they're just repeating whatever their manager did, which may have been like a really really bad example. Um, you know, I, I don't I hate to break it to everyone, but not everybody who's leading out there in the marketplace is a good leader, right? Like, yeah. there are some really, really crappy leaders out there. And so, if you're just basically emulating what your leader did, which is what a lot of people do, then it's just not the healthiest approach. So, the back half really is about it's about the mechanics. It's about you know what are some frameworks and some tools and some other things that we can apply to help us be better leaders.
1: Well, so speaking of be- emulating bad leaders you saying that brings up immediately a term that I'd not heard before, but I think is incredibly imperative that we address when it comes to teams and creative teams specifically, which is this whole ghost rules thing. Yeah. And by the way, this is,
0: um, this is one of those concepts that applies not just to creative teams. So again, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, okay, this you know this doesn't apply to me. No, this absolutely applies to you. This is a term ghost rules that, um, uh, was coined to address something, a dynamic that I see a lot of times in organizations, you'll sometimes hear people say like, well, that'll never work here. Or, uh, well, you know, I can't introduce an idea. Or, "Um, you know, well, you know, that, that, that uh, I'm not the right person for that kind of thing. Well, who said? Who said that that's the case? Well, I don't know. I mean, I just... I just have always assumed it was the case because that's the way we do things around here. Well, what do you mean that's the way we do things around here? See, these are invisible rules, invisible boundaries – that we invent to describe dynamics that we see in the lack of a clear leadership philosophy or in the lack of a clearly defined culture or a clear understanding of the true dynamics of the situation, we invent stories to fill the gap. And so those stories can sometimes prevent us from engaging fully and freely. They can prevent us from bringing our best work. So some of you might be thinking right now, like, well, I'm not you know, that's not who I am. I'm not, I'm just not a good writer. Well, who told you like your sixth grade teacher once gave you a C on your essay and you decided from that moment on that you were, you weren't going to be a a writer. Really? Is that really how this is going to work? And so we have to be really careful not to allow those ghost rules to limit our behavior. I see this in organizations all the time. You know, who can talk to who, who can introduce ideas, who can't, what kinds of ideas are, are, um, are viable, which ones aren't um you know, these kinds of things aren't ever explicitly stated but somehow they arise to fill in the gaps in the organization where there aren't clearly defined expectations there there aren't clearly defined rails being established for the team so i would challenge anyone listening to consider are there ghost rules that i'm following in my life about What I should do, what I shouldn't do, what's expected of me, what's not expected of me, what I'm capable of, what I'm not capable of. There could very well be invisible narratives that are guiding your behavior that you've never stopped to challenge. And if you don't stop to challenge them, they can actually uh, limit your engagement and and lead you in a completely contrary uh, direction to the one that would allow you to contribute the greatest value to your clients, to the world, and frankly, just to live a fulfilling life. Right. I mean, it's this is the thing. Like we are, I, I often encounter people, and I'm sure that you do, do as well, Eric, encounter people who are still being guided by ghost rules that were put in place by teachers, by coaches, by parents, by peers in high school who said something mean to them once and that just has stuck in their head their entire life. I mean, I still remember. Um I I played football until my 8th grade year and I remember my 8th grade year a coach who was putting Way too much of his own personal identity in whether our team won or lost eighth grade football for crying out loud, getting in my face and yelling at me and telling me I would never amount to anything and I'm you know I'm not a risk taker and all this stuff you know because I had made the wrong read as a safety on this play right and it's funny but I look back now and I realize I was well into college and that belief was still very much present in me it was still very much guiding decisions i was making things i was doing and frankly sometimes i was doing things to respond against that to prove that thing wrong well that's not healthy either why am i trying to make decisions to prove something my coach said to me five years ago wrong that's weird you know why is this person having any effect on my life at all um but we do this right we we allow these invisible ghost rules these narratives to define our behavior so i would just i would encourage people to consider might there be something in my life, a narrative that I need to challenge uh, because it's not uh, it's preventing me from bringing myself fully and freely to the work that I do?
1: Yeah. And that's an incredibly uh, healthy perspective to have or uh, dynamic to us to reassess, especially since, you know, in past episodes, I've had a whole self-awareness kind of kick going on here. Um, but. Whether you're a team member or whether you're the leader stepping into a, a new leadership position, or or if you're not new to the leadership position, for that matter, you still probably have personally or as a team or as a manager or a leader inherited those ghost rules, those false narratives that turn into self-fulfilling prophecies.
0: Well, and that's that's the really dangerous thing about it is that you you may not even be aware of the ghost rules if you're a leader that that your team is living out. Right. You may not even know that they exist. And so you have to, when you hear something in a meeting, you have to say, hold on, time out. I think you just said something that I don't believe to be accurate. Let's talk about where that came from. Right. There's an assumption that you are living by that I don't think is accurate to what I really expect of you. Um, You can't just let those things pass. You have to stop. You have to call them out and you have to replace them with the truth. And if you don't do that, if you just, stop and call them out, but then kind of let them go, then people are going to keep living by them. Unless you replace them with the truth and unless you make sure that you're pruning them whenever you see them and that you're rewarding the opposite behavior that you want to see.
1: Now, do you think that this is only something that say we should assess when we step into a new situation or can we do kind of a, Hey guys, let's hit pause and take a, you know, step back and, reassess where we're at right now and then see if we can't move forward in a different or more healthy way. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think that's
0: just a healthy perspective for anyone in any capacity, in any area of life, right? To regularly stop and reflect and say, hold on, time out. Am I living, am I, am I slipping into full automaton mode here? Or am I really making decisions based upon what I think is best for my life, for my career, for my organization, for the people I lead, for the people around me, my family, Um, I think it's just a a really healthy exercise to occasionally um, do some deep reflective self-analysis and organizational analysis and make sure that um, you're at least trying to identify any of those areas of assumptive behavior. And really, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about assumptive behavior. We're talking about a lack of willingness to challenge assumptions. And some of those assumptions might prove valid, but some of them might prove false. And when we're living by false assumptions, it means that we're really forfeiting a, a big chunk of what it is we're capable of doing.
1: Man, there's so much else left in the book. I think we should pause here and just say, look, this is a book for... <laughs> here's what's funny. In, in terms of the demographic <laughs> for the book, the, the intended target, like, it, it's again, one of those things where it's like, it's it's for everyone, you know, where they... Say that's not the approach you should take, but it's definitely not for but, everyone. I think no, but I, but for me, listeners of this show are going to find value in it because they are either a leader or they're being led or what's the other one or they work for themselves. And again, right. they're going to, right. they're going to figure out that self management aspect from all of the different lessons in here. And, and honestly, we've barely scratched the surface. And so I want to get everybody to go check this out. Is there any kind of. I know the book's just barely been out for a little bit here. Is there any kind of bonuses or anything anybody, anywhere should go, like extra content, that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, if you, I'll tell you what, if you go to herdingtigers.net, um, you can download the first couple of chapters absolutely free. Um, and there's also a workbook at herdingtigers.net that you can download to help you apply some of the concepts in the book. And uh, you, know, you can get a lot of value, I think, just by downloading the workbook and kind of looking through the exercises and asking some of the questions.
1: Awesome. That's going to be a great kickstart, I think, for a lot of people to really start to see beyond just this conversation, but into the benefits of taking this time to reassess and approach this one, the creative role that they may or may not have allowed themselves to, uh, you know, call themselves. Uh, but on top of that, as a leader and allowing themselves to, to truly move up and, and be the leader they're meant to be and really, level up the the creative work as well as the function of their creative team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And really, that's kind of, I mean the main thing is, you know, are you being the leader that if you lead other people, are you being the leader that the people around you need? And if you lead yourself, are you being the kind of leader that you need from yourself? And I know that sounds like a really weird sort of navel gazing question, but it's really not because we can be our own worst boss, Eric. We can be worse than the worst, cruelest boss we've ever had. Like We say things to ourselves we would never say to another human being right? Never, ever, ever. Um, So we have to ensure that we are uh, being the kind of leader that we need of ourselves, meaning that we are providing ourselves with the space we need to be able to do our work, that we're providing ourselves with a clear level of understanding of expectations, uh, that we're providing some stability around us so that we can take creative risks, that we're giving ourselves permission to work on our craft, develop who we are, develop our craft, develop our ability to bring value to the clients that we serve. All of those things are a part of leading yourself as much as it is you know leading other people. And so, you know, if nothing else, I really want people listening right now to understand that when you if you're a solopreneur, if you work for yourself, you have to lead yourself. You have to be the kind of leader that you need to yourself so that you have the stability and the challenge you need to bring your best work every day.
1: Yep, exactly. Well said that. I mean, that's exactly what I was getting at there with my whole personal experience (laughs) with the book and, and, you know. Being a leader, being someone who's being led, as well as that third option of getting myself the stability and challenge that I own, that I need from myself. So.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So anyway, thank, Todd, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been amazing. Again, I really think this is going to make, I, I, I know it's going to, if people actually get it and apply it, it's going to make a huge difference in a lot of people's work lives. Uh, not to mention, gosh, some of the implications here when you kind of pull them out and apply them to like maybe family life. But anyway, we'll it's we'll, yeah. a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for the great work that you
0: do. I mean, I, I don't know that a lot of people understand what it takes to continue to produce such high level quality content and to do it over and over and over again for such a long period of time. So thanks for your dedication to your craft and thanks for your dedication to the audience that you serve. I know that all of us who are huge uh, Eric Fisher fans get a, a tremendous amount of benefit from all of the work that we'll never see, we'll never understand what it takes for you to do what you do. But we all are the beneficiaries of your dedication to craft. So thank you.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I am a creative, and I I finally have claimed that a while ago, and you know I'm living it out. So thanks, Todd. Awesome. I really can't encourage you enough to go grab the book, because honestly, it's one of those ones I'm going to be rereading from a leadership perspective, as well as a team member perspective, as well as somebody who needs to self-manage better. And so going through the mindset portion of the book, as well as the mechanics portion are really going to help me out. And I know they're going to help you too as well. Make sure to grab the book. I've linked it up in the show notes, which you can find at beyondthetodolist.com slash two one zero. And with that, I want to say, do me a favor and do yourself a favor. By doing someone else a favor. If this episode was beneficial to you, or you know someone who needs to hear this episode, think of that one person, and then click share. If you're on your phone, if you're on your desktop, wherever you are, or, you know, hey, pull over first. Don't do this while you're driving. Or working out with the weights or on the treadmill. But, take note, mental note, who needs to hear this episode. Single them out. Send it to them. Let them know about it. Because, I want more people to get more out of this show like I am. And with that, I thank you very much for sharing, and I will see you next episode.